0: speaker in this morning's session is uh, Dr. Gwen Schmidt. Gwen did her doctoral work in psychology at Colorado State University and now is a postdoctoral fellow in psychology at the Center for Cognitive Neuroscience with the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, she currently serves as the early career scientist representative on the ASA Executive Council. Though the person who will succeed her is, the, is Tom Roby, who just uh, is in the back row there, who asked the first question from the microphone over there. Uh, the title of her presentation is "American Culture, Evangelical Subculture, and Women in the Sciences." Please join me in welcoming Gwen.
1: All right. So if I were coming to a talk with this title, can you hear me? I would assume that the speaker was maybe a sociologist or a historian, which I am not. Um, but I am a, a scientific practitioner, um, and as as Bud said, um, I'm an experimental psychologist, and I'm doing research on the the neural basis of language. So what I'm going to present here is kind of more of a personal perspective, as I think some of the other speakers have done, based on my experience. I was a pastor's wife for 22 years. I grew up in a Christian family. Um, And so I'm presenting something that's not part of my expertise, although that title might make you think it was. Um, I did look up some articles in the literature. I can read the literature as well as anybody else, so I will be presenting some data along those lines. I want to start off with a quote from a Christian writer, As we cannot afford to squander our natural resources of minerals, food, and beauty, so we cannot afford to discard any human resources of brains, skills, and initiative, even though it is women who possess them. And I I took this as a starting point because I I have sensed, due to my involvement in the ASA, that the ASA in general is very interested in, in involving women in the sciences and very much takes this perspective, is that that we wanna encourage women to to fulfill their God-given potentials. Um, and so that's kind of my starting point, and I'm sort of treating this as a problem, is why are there so few women in the sciences, and particularly, why are there so few Christian women in the sciences? Um, and we got some great data from Jennifer and Carolyn um, about How this all comes about. So, I put here the ladder of success. Uh, We have, you know, equal number of girls in elementary school, high school, college. As a matter of fact, right now in the United States, over 50% of college graduates across disciplines are girls. I think it's something like 55%. And then, as the statistics that we've seen that applied to chemistry, I think they're pretty generally. that they would would generalize to some of the other fields that as you go up this ladder, more and more women drop off. And so we already had statistics, but I'm just mentioning that as kind of the perspective, what's going on here and why is this happening? And so if you look at Christians, and a lot of people here are evangelicals and gender issues, I've long thought that there are kind of two perspectives within evangelicalism and, and conservative Christianity that actually might, might speak to this issue, um, and you, we could call them patriarchal domestic authority. In other words, the idea that the man is the head of the household, as Christ is the head of the church, and, and so it's the man that's responsible for taking care of the family, taking care of his wife, um, and he exercises the authority. And then a related concept we could call essentialism, this idea that men and women are essentially different. They have this God-given essence that makes them masculine or feminine. uh, evangelical thought. And so I want to take these and and use them to explore why there might be so few women in the sciences. Those terms, by the way, aren't my terms. I would have called them something more more general, but that's uh, from one of the papers I read. Um, so let's look at patriarchal domestic authority first, and it basically has to do with power. Who makes the decisions? Who decides what happens within the family? And from my own perspective, I know that when I was nearing the end of high school, um, back in the early 80s, um, and I was considering, you know, what to do, um, I, one of the things I considered doing was going to another town, to attend college where there was a really good math program. And I was told, well, no, um, you're a woman, and a, a woman needs to be under male authority, needs to have a head, and if you go off to college and live by yourself, you can't do that. Um, and so I ended up going to a local college and, and not really doing what I really wanted to do because that, that's, that's what I was taught. Uh, and so that was the beginning of my... Um, my trajectory towards not an ideal career so then I got I got married very young I had children very young and my whole career just wasn't important um to um in in the grand scheme of things as as a Christian woman and I wanted very much to be a good Christian and to do what God wanted me to do and so I, I very much fell into that um but okay so that was back in the early 80s what's happening now I did read this paper by Gallagher and Smith some sociologists that are fairly prominent in the field and they did a study of 265 uh, families uh, across states very cross-sectional very thorough study with people who self-identified as being evangelical and they they asked them you know it was a big long uh, in-person interview they asked them lots of questions uh, about how decisions were made, what, they're, what they believed about this issue of power and authority, and so on, and what they discovered was there was a pragmatic egalitarianism so in actual fact, when couples Christian couples made decisions, they actually um, in most cases it didn 't come to a butting of heads where the man said i 'm the man, you have to do what i 'm saying but in most cases, they were able to to be um, to cooperate with each other and come to good decisions for the family. Um, But they also found this, what they called a symbolic traditionalism, so that um, there's kind of been this transformation over the last maybe 25 years, so you don't actually have um, the man actually being the authority breadwinner type of person anymore, but he's still kind of the spiritual head and protector. And they found that if only five percent of respondents when talking about these issues actually really believed in a, a concept of mutual submission so um, Christians submit to one another, wives to your husbands, men love your wives, and a real this real concept of this is an equality where we equally make decisions together and maybe some of you don't believe that here either and i, I that 's neither here nor there um, but so so traditionally, they still saw the man as the protector, the breadwinner. Um, you know, yes, women have to work outside the home, but that's kind of a, an economic concession because we, you know, we can't survive economically without it. So um, that's that's one side of things. The other thing that this article, or the other aspect of evangelical perspective, is essentialism, um, and that kind of leads from what I just said, it's just this concept still that men and women are very different and should have very different roles. So with essentialism is, like I said before, is this idea that men and women have these, these very different sets of traits and, and that these are God-given and that they therefore determine the roles that they should follow in society. So I've got some nice description up there. I'm not gonna read it, but that was from this Ellison and Bartowski study. So we have this, this concept. And so let's kind of evaluate that a little bit. Um, you know, Is it biblical? So we have this It sort of results in this idea of this God-ordained role that you know, a woman should um, be primarily responsible for child-rearing, for household chores, uh, keep the household running, and that a woman is also someone who is weak and needs to be protected and taken care of. And the man is the protector and the breadwinner. Um, the woman is the, the weaker vessel. And that's traditionally supported from all these Bible passages, um, Genesis 2 and 3, Proverbs 31, Ephesians, Timothy, Titus. I'm not going to actually um, debate those issues here right now. If you have questions, we could maybe talk about it later. Um, there's many ways to understand these passages of Scripture, and there have been some very good um, investigations and exegesis of these scriptures that, that present different perspectives on what they mean. So, you know, is it biblical? Anyways, I, I personally don't think it is. Uh, you know, it's open for debate, I guess. Um, just a couple of quotes I threw here. This, these are some things that were, were said to me in my, my early beginning years. Um, a woman's primary God-given function is to take care of the family, so getting a good education is not important. It's secondary. This is something that was, was said to me by, you know, by influential people in my life. Since you're going to be a pastor's wife, maybe a career is not what you want or will have time for. So it's, it's very secondary. It doesn't really count for me. So let's look at the science side of things, since we're looking at um, Bible and science here. um, Is there any evidence of this essentialism idea, this idea that men and women are are inherently different? And this is something that's not completely um, agreed upon. Um, There there does appear to be some minor differences between men, men and women. For example, men are supposed to be slightly better at spatial abilities. And women are slightly better, better at verbal abilities. Um, women, we've already talked about women and empathy. Um, women are supposedly more empathetic. Men are supposedly more systematizing in, in their abilities. And it's, it's very possible that these changes, these differences are there, and they may even be bio, biological. But the big point to make is that uh, it's not like all men are over here and all women are over here. So, for example, if you would look at the distribution, the, the distribution, for example, of uh, verbal abilities, you'd have a, you know, you'd have a nice bell curve for men, and then the bell curve for women would only be shifted very slightly. So, um, I think the, the big point to make is that each person needs to be treated as an individual. I have this nice quote here from Dorothy Sayers: "What is repugnant to every human being is to be reckoned always as a member of a class and not as an individual person." And so as a woman, that's something that I certainly feel is very true. I'm a human being first and a woman second. And what I should do with my life and how I should spend my time is based on how God has made me and created me as a person. Um, uh, So, But the flip side is that maybe it is important to know what the biological differences might be. And it's really too bad that... um, Judy Torinchuk isn't gonna be here this afternoon to talk more about this. I also threw in this slide, just because this came out last week in science, and since it's relevant to what we're talking about here, um, in the the 70s, research was done suggesting that girls' math abilities in the uh, elementary school years matched that of boys, but by the time they got to high school, there was a difference, and girls did not do as well. So this big study came out in the journal Science just last week, suggesting that that disparity is now gone. And so all those different colored squares there uh, represent different states and different blocks of grades. So it went from grades two to 11. And as you can see, uh, it's, it's showing an effect size. And the middle right here is zero Effect sizes that are negative uh, actually represent girls doing better than boys, so that's a, a state and a, a, and a grade. And so there's actually a higher, more girls doing better than boys. The overall weighted mean is .0065, which is consistent with no difference up till grade 11, early 11th grade in math abilities.
2: Clarify, so box on the right means boys are doing better than girls in that given state, and on the left, box means girls are doing better than boys. Right.
1: Yes, in that state and one particular age category. Yes, yeah. So I think that's pretty interesting that that's changed. The one caveat they mentioned in this article is that um, that they noticed that the standardized tests given to girls and boys based on, on national norms didn't include enough really complex math problem solving. So I think that is still a concern. But anyway, it's an encouraging statistic. So I've talked a little bit about essentialism, what it is. It's kind of the biblical perspective, the scientific perspective, very, very general. Um, I, I think, I mean, I think all of us having grown up in Christian, uh, being in Christian environments would agree that that perspective is there. So what is its impact in terms of women? And I think one of the first thing is that woman's work isn't valued. Um, in the same way that man's work is valued. So you know, women work because the family needs the money. Uh, I've seen many families like this where the man has a nice established career and the woman just does a little thing on the side and she doesn't expect that what she does to work is actually gonna contribute to society. It's just an economic need. It's a second priority after, after a woman's work, um, after her husband's work, sorry. And I'm um, just thinking of an anecdote. Somebody I met some time ago who was married to a minister and also had um, a scientific career, and she was offered a great position across the country, and her husband's like, you have to do this, go and do this, and so she took this position on the other side of the country, they had a long-distance relationship, and I thought, wow, that's so cool, but then I thought a little further and said, you know, wouldn't it be be her turn to have her career, you know, I mean, she couldn't keep doing that forever if they were going to stay married, so eventually she moved back, and um, her husband's career as a pastor was considered more important than what she was doing. So I think this is very, very um, prominent. Um, another example I remember, oh, no, actually I'll, I'll wait with that one. Hang on a second here. Um, I was told when my husband was hired in Colorado, we pay our pastors enough so our wives don't have to work. So that's, that's really told me, I said, well, I'm gonna be working. <laughs> Uh, I don't just work because it's an economic necessity. I'm trying to live out my God-given calling here. Women do more of the housework. So this is, I think, already been alluded to in some of the other talks. Um, And part of the reason for this is most housework is traditionally female. But I think there's an assumption built in to our thinking is that somehow that's women's work. Um, The study that I'm gonna tell you about in a minute, uh, they categorized household work into nine categories. And of those, seven were women's work, so cooking, cleaning, doing the laundry. There were seven categories for women's work. There were only two for what's traditionally considered men's work, which is you know, outdoor things, taking care of the car. So if people stick to their gender roles, it's always gonna be uneven. Um, I remember talking to another person who was a professor, a Christian woman who was a professor at a college, and she said, I can't go to these conferences like the ASA because I just get swamped. Then if I go to the conference all weekend, then none of my housework get done. And then I have to spend the whole week doing all the housework every night. And and I thought, wouldn't your husband support you in doing that? But this was uh, this was just not something she even considered. She just seemed to think that this was just kind of the status quo. So let's look at some of these statistics. Um, there's, There's huge amounts of evidence to show that even in dual earner couples, wives often assume the bulk of household responsibilities. Okay, so there's tons of research establishing that. Um, Ellison and Bartowski in 2002 pubis- published this um, study looking at specifically the, re- the effect of religious belief on that particular pattern. Um, and so they had this cross sectional study of like over 13,000 adult respondents. It was part of a much bigger study, and I, you know, we don't need the details. So here's kind of what they found. Um, So first of all, let me just explain this graph here. Um, This is number of hours of household work per week. So on the wife, you can see the wives are way higher than the the husbands. It's broken into four categories, where both the husband and wife are conservative, just the wife was, just the husband was, or neither were conservative. And the, the only, I mean, obviously, this is a significant difference between what the wife and husband does. Um, but there was also a significant difference of about four hours between um, the the when neither of the spouses was conservative, uh, the wife worked less by about four hours. Now, just to make sure that we're understanding this in perspective, this is across uh, couples that worked and didn't work, so... um, uh, of these couples, 54% had both spouses working. So about in the regression model, about 20% of this difference was explained by the fact that... Um, oh, yeah, sorry, and the other statistic here is that the, if, if they were employed, the husband's employment hours was 45 hours per week, the wives was closer to 35 hours per week. So about 20% of this difference can be explained by the number of hours worked outside the home, but the rest of it can't. So that's, that's a pretty astounding graph. And I think this goes a long way to explain why a lot of women probably can't succeed at science careers where they have to work hard if they're doing all the housework still. All right. Okay, so the third impact of essentialism that I want to highlight is that it, reinforces the idea in society that women are incompetent and that and it's actually true that both women and men believe this I mean I myself find that if somebody's talking about some research that sounds very prominent and interesting my implicit assumption that it is that it must be a man and we've been so socialized to think that men are smart and do important things and women don't um, there is research in psychology that has established that within the the realm of racial um, inequalities and racial prejudice that even people who are very non-racially minded and they would never express any racial opinions whatsoever subconsciously still have racist attitudes. And I would suggest that's probably the same thing for um, inequality with women. So I think this whole idea of essentialism reinforces this idea that men are somehow smarter and better and um, and that that's obviously not good. The last impact, and I think all these three things tie into this, is that women are still making very, especially Christian women, are still making very traditional choices and buying into this, destruct, this destructive idea that they're not as smart, they can't do as well. Um, and that, that starts when they're young, and they're, they're in elementary school, high school, but it goes all the way up. And so... Um, that that's kind of how I'm looking at it. and The bottom line is that women don't become scientists. I mean, they don't become other things too, but in the context of our discussion here, is that because of this idea that women are somehow weak and different and um, don't have these qualities. I mean, there's all kinds of other reasons we could discuss, but this is the, the one place that I've come to. So just a few suggestions. I think there's probably more we could do, but for the women in the audience, um, and I'm speaking very much to myself here because, um, I'm finishing my last year of postdocing this year. I have to go in the job market and I have to make de- big decisions about what am I going to do. And I was, I was speaking to Jennifer a few months ago and said, well, maybe I'll just work for a PI. And she's like, you can't do that. We need women to be PIs and, and, and take that role. But, you know, I'm already in my forties. And so, we have this whole set of considerations. Um, but I need to consider, you know, what is my responsibility? I have the same responsibility that a man has to contribute to society, to use my gifts for the good of mankind. Um, be bold and ask and ask for what you need in terms of emotional and household support. Say no more often. Women often get asked to be the token woman on committees or to do things. <laughs> I see. They're nodding there. Sometimes we have to say no. If we determine what what we should be doing, we have to say no to the to the good things in order to pursue the best thing for us. There is an association for women in science. I did have gone to a few of those meetings. So if you don't know about it, it's something good to check out. They have they have meetings that are they're encouraging to women. For the men, if you are willing to take any uh, input from me, uh, if you want to support women in the sciences and women in general, learn about women's issues. Um, I could, you know, provide you with some of these papers I've read. I'm going to suggest some books in a minute. Um, support the women and girls in your life. Consider in your own family situation, does your wife or girlfriend or whatever serve you more than you serve them? I think servanthood is, is something that should go both ways in a Christian family. Um, encourage your daughters to be independent and think for themselves. Give them opportunities to be leaders. Call women women, not girls. I am not a girl. I am a woman. Um, tell other people why you're doing this. Promote the idea that that women deserve um, equal status with men in in Christ's eyes. You might want to support the Association of Women in Science. In families, it might be a good idea to make charts of household um, responsibilities. I've um, I remember reading once in a book where. Um, a wife made a list of all the things that she did with the children and she's put down taking a bath 10 hours and her husband said, 10 hours a week giving your kids baths? And it's like, yeah, that's how long it takes. And so if you actually document, do a little diary of, of how much time you're spending, you'd be surprised at how much work it is to, to keep a household going and, and, um, and, and, and take care of children. Um, the guy that sits next to me in my office, his wife just had a baby, and, and they're actually really trying to practice the equal parenting thing. So they've they've set out a schedule. Some days he gets to go into work, some days she gets to go into work, and, and they share all the parenting. And um, I'm not saying that every couple should do this, but I think it should be based on the, the needs of the indiv- each individual family. And I think it, it should be fair. If a woman is called to, to pursue a career in science, then then, then that, that, should, that should be allowed. So here's a couple of the books that I was gonna suggest. This first book, Beyond the Curse, Women Called to Ministry, basically deals with all those biblical passages in a very nice and balanced way, I think, um, and addresses them in terms of, it, it addresses it in terms of ministry, but it really addresses them in terms of women's issues. These other two books I have not read, but they are written by two of the authors that, that must be prominent in this sociology field. And the the two, the papers, some of the papers I read were written by these two authors, so I I can't actually recommend them, but if you're interested in reading something like that, that might be an idea. All right, and I'm just going to close with this quote from Dorothy Sayers What Women Want. I do not know that women, as women, want anything in particular, but as human beings they want, my good men, exactly what you want yourselves. Interesting occupation reasonable freedom for their pleasures, and a sufficient emotional outlet. What form the occupation, the pleasures, and the emotion may take depends entirely on the individual. And that's not essentialism. That's like, I'm a human being first and a woman second. Thank you.
0: We do have time for a question or two.
2: Individual in particular is striking. So, yes, you're an individual first and a woman second. I'm a man, uh, uh, an individual first and a man second. And a man first, actually, is my last name, in <laughs> particular to me. But it may be a close second. In other words, the Gwen Schmidt I might relate to one on one as an individual is not necessarily the same Gwen Schmidt that she might be in a group of women. And likewise for me, in a group of men, and I actually think those differences might be highly significant. Having worked, for example, when my child was in choir, there was a committee, and everybody on the committee was female, but me, one man in a group of women, they sure do seem to behave differently to me than when I talk to them one-on-one. So well, it seems to be these renormalizing effects and these, the bell curves. sure, may be close together, but in practice they might widely separate when you put women with women and men with men. Do you have comments on
1: that? Well, see, that's the exact danger that you fall into is that you see a woman and you automatically make a huge list of assumptions about that woman. And I think part of the way that I feel this way is that that in some ways I am not a typical woman. I don't have the really, well, I I, I mean, I have pretty good verbal skills, but I mean, um, in the empathizing and systematizing, like my empathizing isn't that high. My systematizing is high. So I would rather you think of me as a human being first and try to relate to me as I am rather than say, oh, that's a woman, so she's going to be all these things. But maybe maybe more women do actually fit that, but I don't. But
2: in practice, our attitudes are effective. In this choir, for example, right. we're going to change the uniforms of uh, the kids we're wearing. Now, they spend half an hour every week at least of a one-hour meeting discussing all the minutiae of these uniforms over and over. If a group of guys were going to decide this, they'd do it in 60 seconds.
1: But so would I.
2: This, <laughs> this, this, I mean, how many guys here would spend... Five hours deciding kids' uniforms.
1: That would drive me just as much okay, as it would drive I'm, you nuts.
2: Maybe this is a facetious example of the fact that our attitudes are affected by the collective, and I don't know how the socialization social yeah. Well, I mean,
1: so that's that is a human strategy to categorize people, but that's what results in um, in um, what's the word?
2: Well, I'm not saying all women are necessarily like. I'm just saying that these yeah. affect my attitudes whether I'm right. I like it or so, yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, at th- this point, I guess we should...
0: I think we need to adjourn it at this point. Uh, we have a one-hour break for lunch, and then Heather is going to make a short announcement. Yeah, as before I jump out of my seat. I would just like to draw your attention to the fact that that's how women in science feel all the time. So whatever you're seeing as being difficult for you in this choir situation is the way those of us who are one amongst a group of 20 feel all the time. And those socializations are very real both directions. So I would urge you to take that experience and try to understand what it's like to be a female in science.
1: Thanks, Carolyn. Just really quickly, an announcement about this afternoon.